All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What's happening? Mark Marin here. How's it going? You all right? Did you get done with that thing? Hey, is there really a hurry on that? Is there? I mean, come on. Spread it out. We got time. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. A lot of you might be new here because I have a amazing guest, a, uh, a, a real movie star, Kate Blanchett, is here. And uh, she's not here. I talked to her over the thing. But we had a nice talk. I looked at her while I talked to her over the video. I feel like we connected. I feel like we got into some stuff. Um, but mostly just what a charming, intelligent, insanely talented human to uh, to sit there and talk to for over an hour. Just fucking amazing. She's starring in this uh, new limited series called Mrs. America, streaming now on uh, FX on Hulu. And it was actually the second time we talked. The first time we talked, it... I, you know what? Let me explain to you what happened later. I've got some stuff going on. It's actually, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, it was a, a jarring day today. I actually recorded this a couple of days ago because I woke up to the news that uh, little Richard had passed away. It was, it's, it's tragic in that it's as tragic as when any artist goes, but it's not like he was young, but he was great. Little Richard was great. He was the drive shaft of rock and roll in a way that nobody else was. One of the primary architects of the thing. That he just like, little Richard just, his fucking intensity and groove pulsed all the way through it. All the way through it, right till today, but certainly through, it's just, he was a force, man. And he passed away. And I have this box set, this mono box set of his first five records, I think. I don't I don't even remember where I got it, but it's out there. And I was so happy I had it because I put it on and it made me remember that Little Richard was the reason I'm 56. It's not my music per se, but it was certainly my dad's music. And it kind of brought me back to that place. You know, there was a couple of records that got played a lot in the car when I was a kid. The soundtrack to American Graffiti was one. And then uh, some Dick Clark collection was another. Oh, yeah. And the Buddy Holly collection. We had that. And Buddy Holly covered uh, Slippin' and Slidin', which was a Little Richard song. And obviously the Beatles covered a couple of Little Richard songs. And I came to Little Richard that way. I was a kid, but it was like, it was just mind-blowing. The pace of it lights you up. It fucking lights you up. And then it just got me into that place where I was thinking about things I got from my dad. And then I started to realize, like, I kind of thought, like, well, this is what connects me and my dad. From when I was a little kid that, you know, he shared this with me. But it it made me realize that a a lot of the things that I kind of think I shared with my dad, it was just me watching my dad get excited about something. Granted, that's sort of sharing it, but it wasn't like he pulled me aside and said, you know, I'm going to teach you something. It was just like he would put on this music, you know, Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, Little Richard, but he would get so jacked in the car listening to Buddy Holly. It was just, it was exciting. 
It's like, look, he's not yelling. He's not sad. He's singing along. It was, it was like, oh, my God, this stuff is making my dad feel better. What is it? So I don't know if that's really like my my dad and I have, we share this thing, you know, that we have this, you know, my, my dad gave me the gift of music. It was just sort of like, oh, thank God he's singing. What is this stuff that works? But the truth of the matter is it connected with me. That one, four, five thing. Like, that's all I ever wanted to do. It's all I ever wanted to play. It's all I ever wanted to learn how to play. It definitely dug in and we definitely lost one of the greatest ever. The greatest. There is no music without him. There is no rock and roll without him. No David Bowie. No Ramones. No uh, Lou Reed. No. Oh, there's nothing. There's nothing without him. So that was kind of sad. It got me listening to a. Let me listening to a lot of music lately. Like today, I listened to all five of that box set. And then I threw on John Lennon's rock and roll album, which is an odd album, but it was great to, you know, kind of follow that. And then uh, uh, I, I did some uh, a Gene Clark record. The other, I think it's called. Someone sent that to me. What a great fucking record that is. Just doing a lot of time taking stuff in, being a student again, not just enjoying stuff, but kind of like, why is this good? Why is this great? Asking those questions again. Not just taking it all for granted or taking someone's word for it, but sort of taking it in, you know, taking it in. Hey, Google, where was Little Richard born? Little Richard was born in Macon, Georgia. Hey, Google, which Little Richard songs did the Beatles cover? On the website Variety.com, they say, The Beatles, Long Tall Sally. Start here when it comes to covering Little Richard with all the rabbit intensity required. Captured during a drunken, legendary concert at the Star Club in Germany, live. Okay, thank you. So, I'm sad about Little Richard, but I was happy to listen to all those songs today. It was kind of fucking amazing. Um, so it's been kind of an intense few days over here at the house. Uh, had a little covid scare somehow or another lynn came down with something i I don't know how you know we're both always if we go out we're masked we're gloved we're out there doing limited engagement she had to go to the doctor for a thing last week i don't know but we go to the supermarket occasionally but somehow you know two days ago she had a sore throat and a little bit of a fever and i'm like fuck here it comes here it is we're there we got it or she did, anyways. And uh, turns out she went, got scheduled for a test because we live in California where you can get a test. No COVID. So then it becomes like, how did she fucking get something? Else? You get this idea in your head. It's the only fucking disease out there right now. That there's no, but it does sort of like, you don't, no matter how, how many precautions you take, Unless you're in a hazmat suit, the bug can get in. Some bug can get in. The bacteria are all over everything. They're everywhere. Somehow or another, something got in. Like a sore throaty strep thing. No uh, lung thing, no COVID. But she went and got swabbed and said it was quite an experience. She said she got her brain tickled. But thank God it's not that. And she happened to have a Z-pack around, so we'll see if that clears it up. And hopefully I won't get sick. But... 
COVID is not the only sickness out there. Always a lot of sickness out there. Man, I wish we all could get tested everywhere in the country. Had some sort of national government supported and provided testing situation so we know how we can start living life again and who needs help and who doesn't. Everyone needs help now. But she's okay. She is all right. Hey, Google. What are the symptoms of strep throat? According to Mayo Clinic, common symptoms include sore throat, fever, and swollen lymph nodes in the neck. Rarely, complications can involve the heart or kidneys. Oh. All right. Well, I'm not going to tell her that part. I did want to read one other email if I could. It says, free speech in the subject line. Hello, Mr. Marin, listening to your conversation with Liz Garbus just now, and you all were talking about the problems with unbridled free speech in the age of the Internet and social media. My thought is that free speech should remain unbridled, but Internet anonymity should be eliminated. If people had to own what they put out onto the Web, they might be a little more civil and responsible. A right to free speech shouldn't mean freedom from the consequences of that speech. The Internet is more like broadcasting than it is like assembling in a group. Broadcasters have to register who they are and are responsible for what they put out. Anyway, that's my two cents. There was another email here. I can't seem to find it about that, about mediation, mediated speech. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Oh, yeah, here it is. Great episode with Liz talking about free speech, lots to chew on, but is what's on the Internet speech. It's not exactly humans speaking to each other. There's an intermediary, the platform and laptop. So it's processed at best. And what it's best at is spreading the whatever it is that's being spit out. It just doesn't seem like we're closer to realizing the difference. Anyway, thank you for being as candid and honest as you are on your show. Always thoughtful. Be safe and be well. Ah, you too. Uh, I see again, Gordo 89 STX. But who is that guy? Am I talking to him? It is an interesting question. To, how do you how do you reel that back in, given that it has the power to influence so many with such utter bullshit? It really isn't about speech anymore, is it? It's something else. And I'm sure we'll face this seems like an intellectual conversation that uh, that has that has to evolve in the middle of a crisis around what the fuck is true and what isn't. We don't have time for that. Uh, all we have time for is that the hope that some people will, you know, source their shit. And uh, it's what's incredible to me is that the you know the QAnon crowd and the conspiracy crowd, you know, whether they know what's up or they don't, they are the biggest suckers in the world. They just kind of buy that shit, hook, line, and sinker, and they call the people that watch whatever they consider mainstream media or whatever. I, you know, my sources, I don't know what the. I watch some mainstream media, but I also read some newspapers. I try to mix it up, and I trust the uh, the credibility of the sources for the most part. And if I don't, then I, I go a little deeper. But it just seems they believe whatever feels good. Yet uh, somehow or another, we're the ones being duped. You know, not the ones that say uh, scamdemic or plandemic, the big sort of overarching conspiracy to what? Of course, man, if you take a bunch of shit and put it together from history and mash it into the narrative that you want, 
that's satisfying and implies some broader sort of conspiracy that you want to believe and that you're you're you've got the secret truth about this huge thing why wouldn't you if you're a sucker so look she was one of the first we tried we were doing we started doing these video uh chats where i can see the person i'm talking to but we don't record the video it just helps me connect and kate when we set it up we were doing it on the platform we were using but it didn't work uh, on her ipad and all she had was an ipad she didn't have a computer so we were doing it, and then as a backup, she said she would record it on her phone on the voice memo. And we talked for like 45 minutes to 50 minutes when she said, oh, no, you're going to hate me. And it had gone off at like 13 minutes. So then we had to figure out for this for the new version, we had to figure out a way to protect ourselves and also use Zoom, which she could use on the iPad. We Now we have a couple of things we're using to get these conversations. but But we wanted to share the first 10 minutes. I guess it was a FaceTime call, basically. And um, this was the first 10 minutes of a 50-minute conversation that got lost. I'm in my garage. This was a garage of my house. And I had to make it into another house, basically. English, English is not your first language, is it? Absolutely. This was the garage of my house. Yes. And who's, give me shelter. Well, that's, yeah, that's good. That's, yeah. that's a the house. The house is next door. This is a separate building <laughs> and, and there was a garage door and now it's closed off and there's a kitchen there and now it's a recording okay. studio. But I, so basically you're in a bunker. Right. Someone yeah. can live here. So you kind were a, well a, prepared for the pandemic. No, I, I'm not prepared at all. It's terrible. Today's a terrible day. But you're wearing Other yellow. You, that's yes. a, that's a very sunny color. You, some <laughs> days are better than others. I wake up uh, some days and I'm like, there's no fucking hope. I miss just going to the store for nothing. And and now t- and today's one of those days. But, de- but now that I'm talking to you, I feel better. How are you doing with it? I'm, you know, I'm good. My husband baked bread today everyone's baking bread i know but it's, just, it's it's the it's the stuff of life he made he made a jelly roll has he always baked bread no i was the bed breaker the the bread i've got <laughs> i can't speak english either bread baker but now i've been usurped huh and it's not with a machine it's like by scratch and you no, put it in the but see, look pan. if i'm honest mine was with a machine he's doing yeah. it by hand he's got but apparently you have to have a certain temperature of hand naturally to be able to be a bread baker and so, i thought that was my job but it's no it's been I'm, so wait I'm now i have another question was the uh, bread baking machine a wedding gift you know no <laughs> No, it wasn't. But it was a birthday gift. My first wedding anniversary, my husband gave me a vacuum cleaner, and and then I got a mix master. So there were uh-huh. there were certain you know that they have that thing where your first wedding anniversary is meant to be paper or something. I can't even remember what it was. Right. I've been married so yeah. long, I can't even remember what it was. But then I don't know at what point in human history they released another list, and that yeah. list involved things like. Uh, coffee grinders and microwaves and irons and mm-hmm. and sort of gone was the sense of you got to a gold and a diamond anniversary. You got to the microwave anniversary. It's right. so less kind of romantic and timeless. 
Is that why you nothing... got divorced? What, what, what did you get up to? Did you get up to microwave, the microwave? <laughs> I, I made it about, I, I really uh, may only made it uh, about four years each marriage. I do not know that we made any of the milestones. I was with each of them for about seven or eight years, married to about them about three to four years, and uh, both of them crapped out. I have no children. They crapped which is out. better. They crapped the marriages out. crapped. No, no, the marriages did. They, oh, okay. as in the they, marriages. They no, I. <laughs> no, the first <laughs> wife would have stayed with me. The second wife had had enough. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you crapped out. Come on. <laughs> I, I crapped out once, and, uh, the, and then she crapped out. And here another. you are all, in a bunker in your yellow shirt. It's all good. <laughs> and I'm, I, I'm dating a, a film director, and she's age appropriate, and everything's okay. Right. Great. Do you know who? Do you, do you know Lynn Shelton? Do you know Lynn Shelton? Yes. Works. That's who. She's in the house. She's in the house and you're in the bunker. Yeah. So it's clearly right. functional. Everything's working great. <laughs> did she send you into the bunker? She said, go no, and talk I do, I to that, to... that has-been Australian actress. Do Are you kidding? She's, she, she's beside herself that I'm talking to you. She loves you. <laughs> oh, well, you can we were, disabuse her of that. Well, I mean, when did I meet you? I met you at Stephen Colbert when you uh, iced me and walked right by me. I and did paid not me, ice you. I, I I was nervous. It's called stage fright. <laughs> Come on. Come on. It's stage fright. You walk, You're so you walk good right at that by stuff. me. You, do, you kind of do that stuff in your sleep. What? Walk onto a stage and talk? Yes. You, yeah, you I know, just, but I'm just being You practice me. all day in your bunker. That's right. I practice in my bunker. I practice in my head. I practice. Yeah, I have a constant self-dialogue going on. I have a theory, Mark Marin, that oh, you boy. are everybody's inner voice. Mm. That, oh well, that's very that, nice. That that if, they, I, you know when you you we wake up. I'd in the like morning, to believe that. Yeah, we, we we wake up in the morning to have a dream. It was kind of I don't know if it was a nightmare or a dream, and it was, I I you know it was sort of there was slime on the walls or whatever uh-huh. the dream was. Yeah, sure. And you can't you can't remember what was said to you, and then yeah. you listen to your podcast and you go, "That's what was in my head." <laughs> that guy. <laughs> that have guy you been, was in my yeah. head. I used to assume that. I used to assume that I was just speaking from the angry sort of inner voice of everybody. And then I realized that people were just sort of, they weren't laughing for the right reasons. Uh, They were kind of (laughs) laughing because they were uncomfortable and they felt bad for me. Not because we all shared an inner voice. But I do think (laughs) with the podcast, yeah, I think some people relate to it. But like speaking of dreams, have you been having, have you noticed a change in your dreams since this thing? Like have they become more specific? That I had a very specific dream last night. Is that weird? It involved a lot of facial hair and marijuana. Oh, so I'm half of that dream. And terror. So here I am. I'm having a throwback. <laughs> you're, you're high and you're talking to me. It wasn't a dream. No, but I wasn't smoking. It was people were ingesting it through various different parts of their body that was totally inappropriate and unexpected. Um, weird. Yeah. You didn't watch Sarah Silverman's video, did you? No. Did, did she put oh. it under her armpits? No, she put it inside of her. She uh, was on Instagram <laughs> inserting a vaginal suppository of weed. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. And what is the I mean, rating not... on on this? No. No, I haven't. Wow. I should. I must. Clearly, well, no, I will you know, she better. Hasn't, it's, it's not graphic. It was just, you know, she's- So when you're she, asking but she me, so when you're actually asking me, have my dreams changed, you're actually asking me, have I had a van- vaginal marijuana suppository? I know. I just, I, I mean, I was trying to put it together. You said uh, people were ingesting weed in weird ways. And I, I thought maybe you had been going through your Instagram and you saw Actually, Sarah Silverman. Maybe, maybe I did and I didn't realize it was just too late. 
Maybe it's my dream last night. I had to look up the name Phaedra uh, this morning because of my dream. Did, did you um, like, wait? Did, and did you remember that at eleven a.m. or did you wake up thinking Phaedra? No, I woke up and like there was like it, it, there was uh, strips of information that were in the form of pictures that were sort of uh, flipping and and, and uh, interchanging with each other. And for some reason, the heading was Phaedra, and I didn't even know what Phaedra was or who she was. She's a mythological character. Um, and I had to do a little research on Phaedra, and I'm still not clear why my brain did that. And did it right. Hmm. Well, it might have something to do with um I I wonder if um that guy behind you ever ever played Phaedra. <laughs> <laughs> do you think he played Ned Kelly? He's been in he looks great in drag. Well, yeah, from performance, I remember that. He played Ned Yeah, Ned Kelly's Australian movie. Who directed that? Uh, was it uh Oh god, I should remember that, but um Justin Cazell directed a um a version of it quite recently. It's the quintessential oh, really? Australian story. He was sort of an outlaw hero, like a vigilante type. What was he? What was Ned Kelly? Well, he was he was someone, you know, I don't know if you've read the Peter Carey novel, The True History of the Kelly Gang. You know, he no. was someone who was completely marginalized and outside society and finally thought, fuck it, I'm going to fight back. Huh. And so he's he's become a national hero. So it's it's interesting that we have our national hero is a a so called quote unquote crim- criminal. You know, it's it's quite interesting. We've had a lot of those. There's a lot of national heroes who start out as criminals. So, oh you know, yes, they're outside. here we are. Yes, and we have you know we have a president who's an actual criminal, but I don't know whose hero he is. But yeah, but Australia has sort of a tradition of strange people out in the desert, like cowboy ish type people. No. Well, we're we're kind of mostly desert, actually. Yeah, I mean the the and water. It was, uh, yeah, so it's, built on a outlaw population, wasn't it? Yeah, we're we're well. I mean, colonial invasion <laughs> notwithstanding, I think we've been pretty positively built on immigration. You know, um, uh huh. Yeah, but it's yeah, we were a colonial outpost to, at one point, and still seem to be clinging to that identity. What parts you grow up in? I grew up in Melbourne. Have you been to Australia? Yeah, a couple times. Yeah, I, I like Melbourne. Uh, that's uh, I've had uh, nice times there. It's a pretty city. It seems manageable. Sydney is very beautiful. I was at Bondi Beach. I was in uh, Australia, uh, very depressed shortly after my second wife left me. It was rough. And thank God for Luke Davies. Do you know Luke Davies? Yes, yes. He. I had met him briefly through some other friend, and right when I got to Australia, I dropped my computer, and it broke, and I was just stranded there, brokenhearted with a broken computer, <laughs> and, and Luke Davies hooked me up with his Mac guy. And, and I... <laughs> So you went all the way to Australia to get your computer fixed. See? Yeah, see? And I, it really worked out. And he, de- yeah, he told me where to go. And he, I think he took me down to Bondi Beach and stuff. And it was nice. It was nice. Yeah, the dolphins I are back it. in Bondi now. See, this is the thing I, is we think we're very important as a species, we humans. But we leave Bondi Beach for, you know, all of three weeks and pods of dolphins. Re-emerge. I love it. I you know, love it. The same there. here. Yeah. The same here Isn't with uh, Yosemite. Yosemite National Park, the bears are back. Like they're all, they've just been waiting. Yeah. If we're humble, I think we could learn from, from this hideous God damn pandemic. it. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if that were true, what you're saying? If we were humble, we could learn. I think about it every Says day. Says he like, brandishing any... the plastic bottle. <laughs> yes. I, 
<laughs> That's true. Well, don't I, I worry. Do what I can. Don't worry. I do what I can. You know, we uh, we do what we can. We do. No, but just the quiet, the air quality, the the sense of calm, the the lack of this, you know, the momentum we're all in all the time. Mm. You know, I'm 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 thrilled. I hate that there's a plague going on, but I'm completely relaxed because I realize that, you know, like I'm not doing anything and I'm okay with it. But I know that no one else is either. What an amazing feeling that is. No one is doing anything, so there's no reason to keep up. I know. I know. I we we um, we're very fortunate to be in the country, yeah. and so we went for a walk the the other day, and we just kept walking and walking, and walking. I, I thought of the Bronte sisters. It's like, you know, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to walk to the neighbouring house, and that neighbouring house is ten miles away, and that's you my. Did? No, I didn't. I was being oh. a Bronte. I was imagining. <laughs> I was being romantic. <laughs> I didn't walk for 10 miles. You know, I got on the treadmill and I maybe did. <laughs> I didn't do that long. No. But, but you know, that sense that, you know, you will make a journey to someone else's house and that is all you will do in the day. And you will get yeah. there and you will, you will talk to them about. Right. So there you go. That was uh, the, the 10 minutes or so of a 50 minute conversation. That was great. And I love talking to her. And it was that feeling, man. It was that when when she told me she didn't have it, there was no recourse. And I was upset. I was furious. And I was just sort of like, hey, you know, okay. Yeah, what can you do? That happens. And she was like, oh, I feel terrible. I'm like, oh, it's all right. You know, but in my heart, I was like, God damn it. How did we? All right. Hey, I let it go. And I was respectful and I didn't snap. You know, it was. it's a hard time. And it's, it's fucking Cape Blanchett. And I'm not going to fucking lose my shit. So we did get a second interview and we had a little discussion about it. We had a little discussion about what went down. She is obviously in a lot of movies, but she's uh, right now she's in a um, FX on Hulu show streaming on FX on Hulu. Mrs. America about uh, Phyllis Schlafly, the monster. I had a hard time watching it, I got to be honest with you, coming from where I come from mentally and ideologically. But uh, here, we, we cover that too. This is me talking to Kate Blanchett. I just revealed how hopeless I am. It was a good moment. It was. I think we handled it very well. It was finally acted when you said, uh, oh, no. And I... <laughs> and I... And I pretended like I wasn't furious. I think, but I think we did. I know a- you did a really good job. <laughs> you did, a, I, yeah. You did, but it just cut dead. It was like it was like you just suddenly found out we're on our first date that I've got syphilis. It's yeah. like okay, it's over. Yeah, that was it. That was there was there, there was. I no- had to pay the check. That's right. You did have to pay that check. <laughs> I've been in analysis for for two years, yeah. and I have never got to that place. You Yet, did. <laughs> I've got to that place with you in two and a half minutes. Well, I, why is it taking so long in analysis? Are you that confident? I don't that- know. Maybe I should do my <laughs> analysis on Zoom. It doesn't get very long. For, it doesn't take very long for me to get to shame. You're hard on yourself? So he says with a bit deep sigh. <laughs> Are you hard think- on yourself, Kate? Are you? Am I hard on myself? I, I guess so. Are yeah. you hard on yourself? I, I used to be more so. I'm a little less so. I'm usually harder on myself in those moments where, like what you were dealing with, where something's gone wrong, out of your control, you wanted it to go better, or you didn't do something 
that in retrospect, you're pretty sure would have made whatever you were doing work better, that kind of shit. Yeah. But you know, you know what it is? It's, it's when it's, it's when you know, it's your fault. Yeah. Well, you know, it's good if you can see that. <laughs> yeah. And I it's also it's good. Most of the time. <laughs> and, it's, and it's also good if, if you don't assume that it's always your fault, because that's a whole other problem. Oh, is that one of the problems with your with one of your wives? How many wives? No, the problems I've had with uh, with uh, with partners has always been I'm a I'm a difficult man uh, with uh, 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 an anger problem, which has gotten better. Thank you. Right. As, and as, another beautiful. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. No, no I was just going to comment on your shirt. It's another. You must only wear Lacoste. I, you know, they, it's, they it's, no, I, I barely ever wear them. I barely ever wear them, Kate. And the reason I'm wearing them. Just when I see you. Right. The reason I'm wearing them, it's gotten kind of hot here. And if I wore a regular T-shirt, I just, no, I'm not feeling that. It's still going to be a little hot. And these are the only things that I have that look like this that aren't buttoned up that, you know, make give me a little, it's cooler. That's all. I own three of them. There was a time where I owned more of them because I thought at some point I could make them cool, which you can't. They're always going to be what they are, but I have them. I, I, I quite like them. Oh, you do? You were just doing that TC tugger thing. You, is, that, is that what you, you know, you're pulling your shirt out to make yeah. sure there's no, they don't, they don't crease. No, they're not. I nice. like things that don't crease. Yeah, me too. But, uh, oh, but see, yeah, so the wives. Yeah, generally it's been a, a slow evolution to learning how not to be a, uh, uh, an asshole. Oh, okay. And, but so the way to not be an asshole is not to get married. Is that your solution? I don't know at this point. Or to do podcasts, so you actually don't have to. I mean, this must be quite a difficult proposition for you. Ordinarily, mm-hmm. sorry, this is such a banal question. Ordinarily, do you invite people into your man cave? I mean, is this a, is this a complicated scenario for you, or is it actually better for you that we're not in the same room? No, no, I love being in the same room. I feel like it's better, though I'm doing okay with this form. But you, it's nice. You know, you're an actress. You're a person who likes people. You're across somebody. You can read somebody different. You have a feeling. You have There's a different uh, uh, flow to the conversation because you have different signs that are being put forth. So I, it's, these, yeah. This is a completely adverse situation to me, what I've been doing like this, but it's working okay. Have you been doing many of them? Yeah, like, do you we just did a go few. on a roll and just have you done more than you've ever done before? No, no. There's a lot of you know, people come over here all the time to do this, and that's usually the only way I do it. But lately, since we figured out a technology where the sound is okay, like the one thing about having people over is the sound is beautiful. I use good yeah. mics. Uh, yeah. But no, I've done. I did uh, Liz Garbus, Rosie O'Donnell. I just did uh, Joey Pantoliano. You've had a good week. I did a lot of people. Yeah. Um, do you know Joey Pantoliano? Not personally. <laughs> you haven't worked with that. <laughs> no. You know who he is, though, right? Yes. He uh, he gets on and he's not sure how to work his mic on his computer. So within three seconds, that guy in 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 his voice goes. <laughs> he says, "Fuck!" And, he runs. <laughs> and I thought, this, this is the, we can end this now. <laughs> but uh. But you and and your interview with me could just be static. Yeah, well, it I mean, it, be, it almost yeah. was. It almost was. But yeah. but you felt bad, and I, I appreciate that because it felt like we had a pretty good conversation, and you were you were kind of on a groove. Is your son not there this time? I think maybe we have a little more privacy this time. My dog's here. Fletcher's okay. on the floor. Yeah, but, but literally, last time I kept seeing an elbow, and your son was—I don't know what he was doing there—but he was right there. I don't know. He's probably wanting permission to buy something. Oh, he always oh. strokes my back when he wants to buy something. So, 
what changed for you in the last few days since I've seen you? Do you have a computer going? Are you on a computer? Or are you on a- <laughs> have I? Have I? Yes. No, I've learned how to work my mobile phone. Oh. Um, how? What have I been doing? I've been trying. I've been contemplating um, vegetables. I've been growing herbs. I've been. I've been trying to get really basic, actually. Although we did have a bit of a meltdown in our house on on Sunday. Oh I yeah. Think the kids are all homeschooled and we, you know, we're a bit of a caravan. Like we always travel with work. And so we're used to being one another's company and we actually laugh and get on quite a lot. But I think it all struck us between the 9 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. that we'd all been locked in the house together and hadn't seen another human being for seven weeks. Oh my and God, it was literally yeah. like we were in deep space and we couldn't get out of it. It was, we couldn't get off the spaceship. <laughs> and I was frightened that someone was going to eat someone. Everybody became so, hyper aware of what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. But it it happens. I mean, look, who'd want to be 18? Suddenly it's, you know, you were confronted with the fact that your, 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 your children think that you're so deeply annoying and you sort of think, well, I'm not that bad, am I? <laughs> but anyway, it was pretty, it was, but it, we all had the realization at the same Whoa. moment in time. Did everybody cry? Like, oh, I'm always crying. No, yeah. but like those I, are those family meltdowns where like, you know, everybody is just stripped bare to their pure insecurities. Why and- do you hate me so much? <laughs> I don't hate you. No, but it's that thing too. You must, I mean, you must get this talking about anger. You know, people say to you, um, why are you so angry? Yeah. I'm not angry. No, I'm re- you, you're really, I'm not fucking angry. Right, right, right. <laughs> it was one of those. It right. was one of those. And so, and then you end up, Everyone storms off and then, you know, because we all get on, we sort of walk around the dining room, see one another again, and then you've sort of forgotten it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's but good. <laughs> that's good because when you're really angry, uh, eventually that shit builds up and they don't forget it and they go away. And you away. get divorced, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, look, it's, I mean, this is a test. But I had um, a, a friend who's who's literally about two weeks before lockdown yeah. had moved in with their boyfriend. Oh my God. Oh my and God. I, How are they doing? They're 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 doing okay. I, I saw her the other day on Zoom and she had one of those grins. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's but good. That's really that's really tough. It's really it's a very unnatural. It's like, okay, we're gonna go in deep space together. Yeah, but we're doing it. I mean, she Lynn's got a place where she can go, but she's staying here and we're relatively new together. We weren't definitely not living together. And uh, it's not it's not so much as challenging, it's just sort of a a a, a quick course on on you know you <laughs> you know what you would have whether it's gonna work or not. Or, but also what would have taken maybe a couple of years to get comfortable with, you sort of gotta just deal with it. You do have to it's also because we don't know how long this is gonna go on for. It's gonna go on for a say, long time. Do you think? I don't know. The, do you? The echoes. Everyone's sort of like, you know, I feel I'm, I'm annoyed. I'm going to go out. But I mean, everyone's going to get sick again. And I don't know just everybody going on their gut. And because that they're, they they miss going out to buy ice cream or going to get their nails done, that that's a reason to engage with everybody. So I guess we'll find out. It's a big, big fucking experiment. But in terms of going it back is. to the theater and shit, I don't know when that's going to happen. But I know. But that's the thing. I think everyone's craving. Of Is course, it, we're, we're all getting sick of being little boxes in one another's screens. I think we're going to want to. I was talking to a friend the other day about, um, you know, film festivals, and I think, you know, the blow up. There's, you know, all these amazing blow up screens that you can get, and you know, when you go to 
the, the supermarket and you've got your little square and you stand in it politely because you yeah. don't want to get the person, you know. But if we did that in a socially distanced way, then surely we could go back to the, I the think cinema so. in the open air. The I drive-in. Do, that's right. Bring back bring the drive-in. Drive-in. I, do, I do think that people are getting tired of uh, I think everyone's doing a, a very noble job at attempting to create art and entertainment within the the confines of of what we have to deal with but i've noticed recently that almost everything looks basically like an audition tape like no matter how good anyone's doing something in their box <laughs> it still has that weird vulnerability of a of an audition tape and you're slightly feeling i don't want to see that show yeah well you're kind of like well this is nice i'm glad that they're trying you know i, I know but it's 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 when you use the word noble hmm it's like that is the that is the enemy of art, isn't it? <laughs> nice try. Nice try. Almost. Yeah, good job. It's like when someone tells you, you know, your work is brave. It's like, oh, yeah. that's, a, that's better than interesting. Oh, yeah, dude, yeah. You would never get interesting. No. Wouldn't wouldn't you just get that was incredible or that sucked? Uh, I've, I've got a sense, you know, given that we've known one another for so long. Yeah. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I know when I suck. Don't you know when I suck? Yeah. I, I know, yeah, I know when you suck. Do you know when you suck? No, I know when I suck. It's awful. But the worst, the worst thing is when you're sucking on stage. Yeah, and you just got to keep going. Oh, when you can't get out of the sucking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hideous. It's really hideous. I remember I, I was in a show once. It was a two-hander, and the the other actor and I, we we got on stage, and we once we got on, we didn't leave for an hour and a half. Right, and we we're playing a matinee. And so you could hear everyone's hearing aids going, and there were two <laughs> hearing aids up. And there's this pause in the, like, we say about three or four rapid fire lines. And then oh, we suddenly realize this disaster has happened. And we look at one another. And in the silence, I heard this woman with a hearing aid saying, Oh, darling, they can't act. <laughs> you think, what do I do with that? And I looked at the other actor and he looked at me. And we just kind of kept going with that knowledge. It was. Oh, <laughs> awful. It's really awful. And, you know, and this is the thing is you make a movie and you don't know. Um, you, you don't know that anyone's even seen it until they stop you in the supermarket or your friend tells you that, you know, you've got a lot of rotten tomatoes or red. To- I don't know what right, tomatoes right. are. When was the last time you thought you were terrible in a movie? Oh, I think I'm pretty terrible most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I know, my default setting is, you know, when someone says to me, oh, my God, I saw you in such and such. Yeah. It's always, and sometimes that actually comes out of my mouth. The first thing I've got to say is, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. So, yeah. But, I mean, it's it's the bits that don't work, I think, that keep you. The one, the things, the things that you don't have control over, though, with the movies, you don't really have a control over what they're going to use or how they're going to cut it or anything else. No, and I mean, it's 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 interesting, you know, in times when I've um, had a producerial role in in a film or or television, is that sometimes you can't always be objective about stuff, and so you have to really let that process go. And editing is an absolute art yeah you know? oh for sure yeah, which I yeah. totally respect yeah they make so the whole movie a- I've, I've i've i shot i haven't done that many movies but i've shot things where i'm like there's no way they're going to even be able to put that shit together there's no way that be- <laughs> how does that even and they become- do how does that become a movie yeah and they do it's kind of fucking amazing you know do you work in bits 
do you work in bits? When you said they can't, how are they going to put it together? What, because you're thinking of all the bits that you didn't, that didn't work? Well, no, like I did a, I did a little movie, this David Bowie, weird David Bowie bio flick that it was supposed to open at Tribeca. And it was just shot on such a low budget so quickly. One or two takes. We're running around. The, uh, the cinematographer is 80 years old, but he's sort of a genius. And, uh, and I just didn't know how they were going to make a movie out of what we shot. They were, <laughs> and then, and then I saw it and I'm like, holy shit, they got a movie. Yeah. Yeah. That kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. But it's the MC energy. Sometimes, sometimes you can overthink things. I mean, yeah. before I made, made a film, I just thought, oh, well, that's relatively easy. You just keep going until it's perfect. But it's this whole thing, you know, sometimes when you've got too much time Yeah. and, um, you know, you can, it's, you've got to go with the wabi-sabi idea of things that there's always got to be a flaw in it. Yeah. Well, how long does it take to shoot a, a Hobbit movie? Like a year? Oh, I remember when I, for me, it was super quick. Oh, yeah. There's not too many chicks in, in the, uh, in in the, Hobbit the Tolkien universe. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, was, I loved it so much. I did say to, to, to Peter and Fran that they were doing a banquet scene with a whole lot of, um, I think it was a whole lot of dwarves. Yeah. And, um, and I said, look, I would love, I've always wanted to play the bearded lady. So could I be... I, could I be your um, hairy uh, wife woman in the in when they pan past the the um, the, the banquet table of dwarves? And I'll just be, you know, and of course I, I couldn't because the timing shifted. But it takes them forever. But for me, Galadriel, I sort of was it was like three weeks. Did you when you were a kid? Were you into that kind of stuff? Like fantasy? I was more, my sister was a huge uh, Tolkien fan as of my brother. I came to it late. Oh, really? When I sort of realized what I'd sort of I'd missed. So I came in as a, as a demi-adult. But I, I was much more into the bad fiction you pick up in the supermarket. Really? The horror. Yeah. I was into d- girl detective series. Oh, yeah, Nancy yeah. Drew and Trixie Belden. That was my whole world. You know, I was in, in my Basil Rathbone in the in the Sherlock Holmes Sherlock movies. Holmes, yeah. That was my, they, they were my peeps. Yeah. People with big noses and big problems. Solving problems, solving cases. Solving problems. Getting yeah. to the bottom of it. Yeah. Trixie Belden didn't have any many murders. And then I, you know, I, I sort of gravitated. That's when I think I gravitated more into the horror genre. And then, and then what happened when you got to high school? Did, did you shift to music or something more exciting? Boys, anything? A horror is pretty exciting. I, yeah, I, I guess. I'm not a... Okay, you're right. You, really? So when you say you're not a fantasy guy, you're not a horror guy, and then I, I think I probably then went into, you know, I went into the, the long Tarkovsky yeah, kind yeah, of... Yeah. I, I, kind of yeah. I kind of skipped. Yeah. There's all these Steel Magnolias, Beaches, yeah. all of those films. G- great weepies. I kind of skipped that, and I'm yeah. really sad about it. I feel I've missed some profound developmental stage really to, to not yeah. uh, to, to to have uh not locked into sort of melodramatic fun movies where you know uh, yeah. crying movies that are overly acted and overly produced you, is that what you call them is that, is that the genre no i don't know i just i mean i ended up seeing all those movies i don't know how steel magnolias moonstruck there was a big bunch moonstruck. of moonstruck see i missed that that Isn't was that good. Terrible? That's good nicholas cage but you're in one of like i love that movie you did with sam raimi i I, oh, the gift! I love Sam Raimi. That movie is so I fucking good, so man. That that scene with the uh, budget of a shoestring. You know, really? That was, that was yeah. There was one sequence in that, and this is I mean this is um, Sam's kind of ability to just galvanize everybody and 
used to working on a low budget. There's one sequence where we had we were they were going to the producer was going to shut the thing down. So we had one take to this sequence that went through three rooms. Someone had to trip over and fall had to fall in blood, and Keanu had to slam the the door in my face, which he's so good at doing, and um, happens to me all the time. And we did it in one take. Yeah, you know, it's, so it's it was one of those pretty special experiences and then he went off and made spider-man but when you have control how much control did you have over this um the the shalafly uh project you said it right i well you taught you me last time right. see, I, I can it's... make up for my mistakes last remember when you were beating on me uh at the beginning of our last conversation <laughs> I took Don't some. Tell the people at home that I took some notes. I never beat it on you when you were when you were you were <laughs> telling me I was working in a basement. It was brutal. So <laughs> I get it. You know, yeah, you had, you had to take, take a couple of shots. To get to- <laughs> no, no, it was a run, it, it's a it's a running gag in the series that that no one can say her name, which is actually. You know, when I went through the oodles, the reams of, of, of interviews that she gave, I think maybe out of 150 interviews, there were two people who said her name correctly. But Schlafly, there's quite a few interesting names. There's Bella Abzug. Yes. And, um, and you know, um, Jill, Jill Ruckelshaus, who was a Republican feminist. You know, like it's, there's quite a few um, big names and Schlafly is one of them. But how much control did I have? Yeah. I mean, you were a producer, right? strange question to, to launch in with. What do you mean, Guan Chin? We've been talking 25 minutes. Oh, have we? Have you I been recording know. this? No. no I, oh, no. listen to this shit. Yeah, but, Kate, how much, why is that a weird question? I mean, you've answered every other question about this show. There's, you, there's literally a book of interviews you've done about, about Mrs. America. I'm just trying to come at it from... <laughs> I know. Did I have enough control? No, I didn't. No, no. How much control? Well, I was... I, was, um, I, I came in early... Um, uh, Darby Waller, who is the uh, creator of the show, and, and Stacey Scher approached me because um, John John Landgraf, who's fantastic at FX, had been very passionate about making the series. So I got in at the ground floor and was interested because they, it was about obviously second wave feminism and the drive to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment, but it wasn't from the usual suspect um, perspective. Right. And I knew precious little about Phyllis Schlafly or even how to say her name. And so it was a, it was quite an extraordinary journey for me. But I, I wanted to be part of a series where, you know, it wasn't a biopic about any particular c- character. Um, God knows I've made a m- enough of them. Um, it, it, was, it, it was about, um, it was really about how uh, to reverse engineer how we've got here. You know, no, I get that. Yeah, yeah. I find myself... Um, being, you know, sort of immersed in politics and, and somewhat of a, a liberal myself that I, I can't, I, I, even though you played her with the uh, sensitivity, I can't stand that fucking woman and it's very hard for me to watch it. But how do you feel, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, how much, how much did you, were you aware of her? I was, I know, was kind um, of aware. I didn't know the whole story, but I knew enough. Like I was okay in my life with the amount I knew about Phyllis Schlafly. But did you know? Were you aware of her, um, the reach of her mailing list, and how she gave it to Reagan? And I mean, no, no, some... I didn't know that stuff. I didn't know that the sort of like the building of that infrastructure of uh, conservative uh, uh, propaganda. No, I did not. know Yeah, that. just I mean, the whole language that that's that's become the central planks of the Republican Party as we know it now, and certainly as it evolved in the eighties 
were were really for, uh, so many of so many of those um, songs that they were singing from were from her hymn book, and um, you know you can say that's a, a, a dubious achievement, but it is interesting that that um, she didn't get a lot of public credit. So you're happy <laughs> you're happy that Phyllis Schlafly is f- finally getting the credit she deserves on <laughs> no. on, well, on both sides <laughs> of the aisle. But it's she's so she's so um, polarizing. Yeah. And um, you know, even 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 from the grave, she's she's polarizing, and we live in such polarized times. And so much of that, um, the inequality that we're struggling with now, came out of the seventies. Yeah, you know, and it it wasn't just you know inequality between um, the sexes. It's but between the, the the you know the enormous wealth divide, the haves and have-nots, and the and the people who were. Um, so-called natural-born Americans and immigrants, you know, there's there's so there's such a a trench between people at the moment, and and you think I, you know, we think about second-wave feminism, the seventies, and it's all, you know, it's it's an awakening when in fact by the mid seventies to late seventies it was starting to be a shutting down, and I think a lot of that came out of the civil rights movement, and people hadn't really processed that what it what what there is to process about making all americans equal i i don't know i mean surely that should have been a no-brainer but it's you know the fact it's not in the constitution it's crazy yeah that that was a such a shock to me well it's a racist sexist uh uh, capitalistic world here and it's weird that the what i found interesting about watching the the mrs america is that you know, the, 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 the lines that were drawn around this whole commie hippie thing were really to protect, you know, the structure of capitalism more than anything else. And yeah. and, and it seems that, you know, some of that is filtering into uh, Phyllis Schlafly and her and her movement was to to maintain the current paradigm to not. But it, it was it was not it was not essentially the same as protecting capitalism as much as it was protecting patriarchy. So I don't. Well, sure, but that too. But I mean, there were there were a lot of big businesses, including including the insurance lobbies, that that stood to lose a lot of money by by making uh, women um, profoundly equal to men. Right. Because the the, the rate of, of insurance um, that that women had was entirely different, and you know, there's a whole um, uh, group of people who truly believe that that Phyllis Schlafly was. Um, you know, supported by the insurance lobby. So you know, it's 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 a it's a period well worth investigating. And of course, Miss, Mrs. America can't. It's it's not. It is never going to answer all of those questions. It's, it raises more questions, and hopefully, people will go and. Well, that's interesting. Find did you did you poke around in that rabbit hole of uh, thought around her being financed by the insurance lobby? Yeah, I mean, the series doesn't. There's a couple of lines about it, but the series doesn't deal with it uh, directly. There's too many. Um, I think that we probably would have gone deeper into that um, that that idea if it had been just about Phyllis. But because there's so many stories to tell, I mean, you know, the the the, the journey of Shirley Chisholm, f- for one, and, and her running for president, and Jill Ruckelshaus, you know, as I said, that was a Republican feminist. That to me was such a a revelation. In a way, you know, producerially, I wanted to be part of getting the series going but i wanted to also scaffold all those other stories being told well it's also interesting just watching one of the episodes where you had to deal with the racism of your sort of uh, southern contingent 
um, mm-hmm. and how you kind of uh, diplomatically threw your friend under the bus for the greater good in that moment and were able to somehow uh, transcend, as the character Phyllis Schlafly, the idea of racism, given that your particular agenda was being served, which is certainly relevant now. Well, I mean, I think, I think, I think what you see in, in that, in that moment is that that's politics. Yes. You know, and there was, a, there was an interview that, that Phyllis gave with um, Larry King in the, in the eighties. And, and she was saying, you know, it's, it's a, it's a bit like being a surgeon. You know, if you can't stand the sight of blood, you need to get out of the game. You're in the wrong game. And that, you know, if you can't stand criticism or, you know, p- people reviling you, then you, then you've got no place in politics. She was really, um, I think, a natural political animal. Sure. And, you know, I don't, I, there's all so much about, you know, someone said to me ages ago that the crisis this is back in um, the global financial crisis, that it actually, the, the, of course, there was an economic crisis, but the biggest problem facing America was that it had a crisis of governance. And I think that in a way that's, the, the series doesn't deal with it directly, but partially it does because it's it's the drive to keep the Constitution a responsive living document. And it's somewhere along the line the Constitution has become a biblical document that cannot and shall not be changed and that everyone reads the Constitution in a literal way, you know, and that you can't, how, the, you know, the inequalities we're facing now, one has to think, well, if you did put it into the Constitution back in the, in, in the 70s when the notion of equality was, was seen as being a no-brainer, it wasn't a party political issue, it was just something that had to happen as part of, you know, um, American evolution that you wonder, would we de- be in a different place right now? If the Constitution had responded to, to what was a kind of a, a universal drive for, for equality, and not literal equality to say men are the same right, as right. women, but that you're equal. Representational to, equality. Well, yeah, language is powerful, don't you think? Sure, sure. Yeah, it should be sort of an evolving document. But now we have a president that could, could give two shits about the, the Constitution. And, you know, Come on, three shits. And, and we, give three shits. we have a complete we're, we're over here living in a failed state currently, not knowing whether or not we're going to tip into full on authoritarianism come November. So the constitutional talk is, uh, you know, it's, it's almost um, romantic. Uh, at this point, I know, but but you know what? It's 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 um, you, none of us have just arrived here. No, I know. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what is so interesting for me. Phil Schwafly helped us get to, here. Yeah, yeah, that it's been happening for quite a while. The right. erosion, you know, the California just doesn't drop off into the into, into the sea. No, it's a gradual process of erosion. Sure, you know, and not, not I mean, there's so many wonderful things. I'm not, I mean, them in terms of California's got specific problems i think they're part of the solution actually but it's um yeah i just i think it's um it's important to kind of work out that it's the 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 current administration has been allowed to to exist and i think i don't know i think it's really important to vote in a democracy yeah i I for sure were you are you aware when you're playing a villain generally (laughs) generally (laughs) Is it a leading question? Yeah, no. um, yeah. Well, look. I mean, look. I don't. I don't want to tell an audience what to think. Uh-huh. Um, and particularly in 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 this, you know, it's. Um, I was interested in reaching a broad audience, which is why the series. Part of the reason I was excited that the series began at the point that it did. It, it didn't begin with you know the people that so many 
people revere, it began with someone who was um, was considered by many a villain. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to say that person's evil, that person's bad. Um, you know, when you don't agree with what they've um, what they've done and what they've said, mm. as I don't. Um, but I wanted to understand how someone could think like that. And so hopefully, um, you know, the series has enabled people to ask, ask those questions. Right. I See, I, I, right. There is a type of ideological thought that people believe and they cannot see them in the way that you see them, which is wrong. Um, and I think that's true. I, I think that belief is a very, uh, very powerful and strange thing. And it seems like when we were talking before that she was rooted primarily in the intellectual uh, and active pursuit of uh, the arms race. I mean, that was her that was defense, the, the ground zero of who she was uh, intellectually and as a, p- a political motivator was like you know we've got to not get blown up by russia yes and so it was it was literally feeling that that women were going to be put in the trenches with men not at all acknowledging that the world the world had changed post vietnam you know and that that there shouldn't be another draft but there was bubbles then too i guess it didn't require a sort of uh, media bubble but there was definitely bubbles of thought that they were all living in and it seemed like that with vietnam that was the first time that it was really you know a line was drawn between you know what sacrifice was and what was a, a right war or a good war and there were people in chaffley's circle who were just sort of like well you know these hippies are whiny babies and um we shouldn't have lost that war. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. It's it's the whole thing about, um, you know, that it, you you've got to look after yourself. Mm. You you if you if you're asking the government to to help you, then there's something wrong with you. And it's you know it's it's that that's that kind of line in American, um, uh, in the American kind of identity. It's, it's about being exceptional. Yes. And that we all have, we all have the ability and the right to be exceptional. That's right. And if you're not cutting it, it's your problem. Yep. Yeah, but now, what is cutting it? Now there's so many exceptionally awful people that have such disdain for people who are truly exceptional that the whole bar is being moved into like I don't even know what exceptional looks like to these fucking people. I know it's it's really it's really. I mean, I come from Australia, and so anyone who's an artist. Um, or, you know, or an actor or a writer or, you know, you can't even call yourself an artist. Right. It's, a, it's a dirty word, a uh, pretentious, dirty word, but that you're considered to be an elitist. Yeah. And you think, well, hang on, what about these people who, who own sort of um, 95% of the wealth in Australia? Wouldn't they be called the elite? And do any of them work in the arts? Mm. You know, and that somehow public intellectuals have, be- have become, you know, the notion of thought or yeah. deep, thought or 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 trying to think longer than than tomorrow is somehow seen as being elite when did having an education become an elite act here's the weird thing about this country is by calling you know what you're a comedian don't talk politics leave that to to who exactly you know we're people <laughs> who the fuck talks politics <laughs> yeah our president doesn't know how to talk politics who's supposed to talk politics but the weird thing is is that they blame us for being some sort of con people like we're getting away with something and and our president president is the biggest grifter that ever lived but they don't there's this cognitive dissonance between you know where they're being driven to put their anger and what reality is and it's a real trick but and phyllis schlafly helped create those tricks that's that's all and i think 
there you go. That's it. Yeah. You said it. <laughs> uh, now, okay, let's go back to this thing you said, because when you say, when I brought up the villain thing, that you don't want to tell an audience what to think, that it seemed that we could track that moment of realizing the power of that uh, when you did uh, the first that first theater production did in Oleana, that that there was something that an experience you had with the audience's reaction on both sides to that play that really made you realize the power of of not presenting something in a way where you're telling people how to think. Yeah, I mean, that was that was my first my first job out of drama school. Yeah. I was understudying at the Sydney Theatre Company and then the director saw me and put me in. Oliana, and yeah. that play hit an audience at the time when the notions of, of political correctness was just such a violent hot button for people. Yeah, and I would I was spoiled. Like I came off every night um, and went into the foyer, and people were getting divorced, and they were they were there were one night there was a brawl in the bar. Wow, you know, between men and women, and tables are pushed over. It was so exciting, and I thought this is theatre. I said, I, I, this is I, this is for me. Yeah. It was, I mean, the real theater actually took place um, uh, in the bar at, at the end of the night. And it's, it's, it, I got a taste for blood <laughs> in a way <laughs> you know, that I thought this is a blood sport. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes you go, you go to the theater just to laugh or, you know, to be entertained or to be moved. But when you actually have, you know, you're in something that is just hits um, people at the right moment um, and in the right way, it means that they they talk. It's affected them yes. for better or for worse. They don't need to like it. They don't need to like you, but they but it's given them something worth thinking about. Yeah, or that, feeling. I, you know? I, I think that is the best thing about art or what we do as performers is that if you can change the way people think about something or provoke them to think about something in a different way, mm. you can you literally change their life. Because they their perception is altered forever, and it, it they add it to the tools in their head, and that's the best. Yeah. Blowing minds is the best thing we can hope to do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. I know, but but that's the thing is this: you just ask the questions. It's I I don't have the the answers to to any of this. What's your relationship with uh, uh, Shakespeare? Um, is it good? Do you have a good the, good relationship with Shakespeare? Um, well, I did a bit when I was at drama school, um, but I think my kind of pivotal relationship with Shakespeare it's, it's in it has to be it's like you can't read it you have to get up and move around and say it it's a living breathing yeah plays are meant to be performed that's why they're plays they're not works of literature they're plays so you have to get up and move it so I um one of the first things we did um when we took over the Sydney Theatre Company is we did a um god was it seven hours or was it nine hours I don't know but either it way it's too thing. long <laughs> no, it was fabulous. And so people would come in um, at, at lunchtime and then they would go through into the evening and we did the War of the Roses. So I played Richard II and I played Anne uh, at the end of the at the end of the night. Yeah. And it, that was wild. That yeah. was really wild. Benedict Andrews, who's an amazing, amazing theatre director. When everyone died, he, we spurted blood on one another and then blew flour. On the, it was just, I mean, it sounds like a baking competition, but it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing with theatre is when you describe it, it sounds so like, what? Yeah, but, but it's the simplicity yeah. of the it illusion. It was muscular. Yeah. yeah. So, you, so, so, so you took over the theatre? You, you were director of that theatre? Yeah, my my husband and I um, uh, ran it. So it's, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a the theatre where we got, you know, we both got our first 
big breaks. So we've kind of got a long uh, history with it. And do you still run it? You still no, no, no. We were there for about ten years, and um, oh wow, it's still going. It's a, it's such a great uh, theater, but of course, you know, um, with the Australian arts industry, quite well, well, relatively recently, it got. We used to have an arts minister, but then it got folded into roads and rail. So yeah, I don't understand. The that. arts doesn't actually isn't acknowledged as an industry, so they're they're really struggling at the moment. And people always look at Australia and say, you know, it punches above its weight creatively. You know, and it's it's novelists and it's it's playwrights and it's it's theatre designers, it's actors, it's cinematographers. You know, it's yeah, yeah. Anyway, it breaks my heart. I mean, it's sort of you, you wonder how does how does art persist without support? You know. Well, this is the thing. I think it always relies on the fact that people will do it for nothing, you know, because it's a driving people, you know. I'm sure you'd sit in your garage, you know, and, and, and do it anyway. You've got to drive to, to, to do it. But it's, it's when a lot of pe- other pe- people make um, money from the industry. It's like why should you be considered greedy as an artist if you want to get a little piece of that pie so that you can get some more money to make something else. Because that's the right. thing, you know, we, we're always justifying ourselves and, and um, having to explain to people why it's important. But what are people going to do with their spare cash? You know, they want to listen to music. They want to go out and, and go to the theatre. They want to go and see yeah. a film. They want to gather. And it's, this is what we said is, you know, it's not, they don't just go to the theatre district. They go to the restaurants yeah. in the theatre district. They sure. catch the cabs to the theatre district. You know, yeah. it's, it has a huge multiplier effect. Anyway, don't get yes. me started. So, like, you did two Todd Haynes movies. And I've I've interviewed that guy. It's not enough. Guy. I need to do two more. Well, how was that? Like, what was your experience? In, did you know that how that Bob Dylan movie was supposed to work when you well, got Todd, into Todd it? Todd had explained it to me. You know, how did when, he explain it to you? When someone calls you and says, "I want you to play Bob Dylan," and and it's Todd, you you that you lean into that conversation. That is just yeah. insane. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, it was it was great. And but I, when he when he was talking about s- splitting his persona, I just thought it was so exciting and also so liberating. I mean, when do you get when do you get an offer like that? But when he told you that Richard Gere would be one of them, did you think like, hmm, I wonder how that's going to work? No, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> did you? I'm still thinking that. Yeah. No. It was. Um. It was. It was. It was out there. But, you know, he came with a whole mood board. And, and I, one of the great joys of my life, um, I was, strangely, uh-huh. I was filming Queen, I was playing Queen Elizabeth at the time that I was preparing for it. And I, um, I watched all of the outtakes from the Penny Baker documentary. Oh, yeah. you know, there's a section in the, in the documentary where he's sitting in the back of the, uh, the cab in London with, with um, John Lennon. And they're, they're talking, and it's not a very long exchange, and they're just going, you know, that's uh, quite witty. The outtakes, Bob Dylan is so off his noodle, and yeah. John Lennon is getting increasingly <laughs> bored until he finally just starts taking the piss out of him. And none of that, for some reason, made into the documentary. But it was so fascinating to, to watch Dylan just slide into this sort of drug-induced coma but when you got into that role you that was uh, that was the period it was from that documentary and did you like were you able to understand anything about bob dylan that you might not have before he was <laughs> so incredible with the press yeah they just yes. did not you know I, I i i kept thinking about those 
those um, extraordinary um, Hollywood foreign press conferences that oh, that, yeah. that one, one one does, and you so you see the same journalists over and over, and it's quite formal. There's a table and it has a nice tablecloth, and sometimes it's a little bunch of flowers, and it's it's always in one of those nondescript hotel kind of conference rooms, and the chairs are all laid out, and they're all sitting there, and they're all in suits, and he was just riffing, but he was riffing in a way that was it was like a spider just spinning little web, and then you know flicking cigarette, you know poetic cigarette butts out and they didn't know they didn't know what was happening he wasn't trying to win a golden globe he wasn't trying try- no, no. <laughs> unlike me <laughs> <laughs> he was just trying to fuck with the press so he did it really well so you played elizabeth twice right the same i'm elizabeth. so sorry yes i did you, you i mean you're able to do all these different have things. you played elizabeth no not in public I um, <laughs> you you could do a lot in that garage. I know I can do a, a number of things, yeah. But like, okay, but let's stick with the uh, Haynes because that the other movie, Carol, was a very different movie and it was a really stunning movie. Slightly less hairy. I mean, what does he enable you to do that other directors don't? What is the relationship with him? He's so he's so fluid, you know, and uh, responsive. And the thing is, he he in completely envelops you in in the atmosphere that he's creating so he's I mean which I really respond to he sort of he um swaddles you in all of this um swaddles that's a terrible word oh I can't I like I it. use that word Blech. um no but he he really surrounds you in, the, in in all of the images and the visual references and also he gives you a soundscape like the amount of playlists that he will give you oh really yeah so it, it, it you feel like your understanding of what you're in is operating on a whole different level you know and so i i yeah. just really respond to that because sometimes the connections you make to a a story or a character you know it's it's um then it's non-linear it's it's like out of one strange space continuum into another and you don't you can't that's why i find so it's so hard to talk about is because it happens in a moment between people and you're not quite sure why it works but it has um right. or it hasn't in my case and um, and then the editors can fix it. I, I, I do. I do. I don't. You know, I'm not buying this this weird kind of uh, self-flagellation. My therapist your... buys it. Well, yeah. Well, that's what <laughs> you're paying them to do. It. I pay him quite a lot of money to buy it. Yeah, yeah. You're paying them to listen to you repeat yourself no, over no, no, and over yeah, again. Exactly. You know. Yeah. But this has been. Thank you for this session. How long have we done? You surely you're going to say thank you very much and just hang up. That's, that's in a couple funny. in a couple minutes in a couple minutes. Now yeah. it's gonna we're gonna have a, an easier d- dismount. It'll be a nicer <laughs> farewell this time. Yeah. Okay. Um, but but in, in terms of you playing things, you can it seemingly can do anything from any period. Uh, you know, do you approach everything the same way that these are just people basically in relationship with other people? Is it? It's just a conversation, isn't it? Right. It depends who you, you're talking to. So if you're talking yeah. to, to Taika Waititi, you sort of sli- talk slightly more differently than if you're talking to Terence Malick or Claire right. Denis or, you know, like it's, yeah. those, those, it just depends. Terence Malick, is that a difficult conversation? It's, it's often, a, it's often a, um, full of yes. Mm, mm. <laughs> it's, you often just stand in the presence of, um, he's so, I mean, He's I he is such a wonderful filmmaker. So let's just talk about two more things. The like playing a Blanche in that production of Streetcar. 
Now, that was a very German pronunciation. Streetcar. 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 <laughs> you sound like a German theater critic. But I mean, when you were given that opportunity to play that character, uh, were you just uh, thrilled, and you were, or were you were you overwhelmed at the uh, challenge of it? Well, that was actually in our first year running the theater company, and oh. um, and we were having we were having um, uh, lunch with Liv Ullman and we're talking about working together. And my husband said, you know, thinking, what play could we do? We could do this. We could mm. do this. And he said, you know what? You should. You both should do. You should do Streetcar. And Liv's <gasps> her face lit up in that incredible way that only live mm-hmm. woman's face can light up and then it was just i had to do it i just realized something when you said that that like there's this interesting thing about the nature of theater where everybody who's involved with it has a relationship with these with these plays that are done over and over again and continue to be uh, done over and over again and no one ever thinks that you know that they can't be done again it, they they think they have to be done again and they're going to be different every time you do them yeah. that's sort of an amazing thing it i is, never really it, thought of that it's very 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 ancient yeah, like, you know, we we went to um, Delphi with the with the kids um, a few years ago, and there's something about those amphitheaters, and you stand there, and you stand at Epidaurus, and you you uh, you stand at the sweet spot on the stage, and you can whisper, and the this you know thousands of people sit in these in these uh, auditoriums, open auditoriums, and they there's something shamanistic about it, you know, that we do want yeah. to hear those stories. You know, and I'm really, yeah. I'm really curious about what stories people are going to want to gravitate to, not from the now, but stories from two, three hundred years ago that speak to the now. You know, there's something profound in archetypes, I think. No, for sure. What do you think of these? Like, but do you, what do you think of the shortening of stories, this challenge of technology, like this new, what is this new platform, Quibbly or Quimby Quibi. or <laughs> Quibi? Quibi? I mean, doesn't isn't that diminishing the 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 depth and beauty of storytelling, or am I being an old? Yeah, but if you think about uh, Dickens, Dickens was yeah. was published in short installments and in in newspapers. So uh, okay. it's it's like the chapterization of story. It doesn't always have to be. Okay, delivered. I'm not I'm not I'm not um, threatened by that at all. I I think. Theater, have you done? Did you do something for them? Yes, um, yes. Well, I'm not. Threatened. So no, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know someone there? No, but <laughs> In I'm fact, sure I've that got a project. No, I'm sure I've, you've got uh, somebody who can make the call. No, no, I've got. I, I don't know. I just feel like these things are. Um, it's what you were saying before about you know everyone sitting at home and and trying to make art by themselves. You know, there's there's something about theater that's made in front of people for people, and it changes night by night. It's a. It is. A, it's an organism, and I think it's. You know, it's it's a live experience. I think we're all going to crave that, and Quibi can still exist. I think you're right. Now, but wait, the with Blanche, you're heading into Blanche, and you know there are some precedents set for Blanche. But did you, what did you, how did you begin to even, you know, open up to her? Like, was it just the words? Did you think about Vivian Lee or anybody else doing it? Oh, of course. Well, you know, when you play those. Uh, they're not just great roles, they're great plays. And they're, they're stories that, that carry with them kind of huge cultural baggage. Um, and, you know, I'd seen that, that film many, many times. Um, but I, when you, you, I'm working with Liv Ullman and, I, um, and, and it was an amazing, amazing um, Joel Edgerton was, was Stanley and it was such a great cast. And Liv wants to see it. 
she wants to she 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 doesn't want there to be a second that is not truly felt so you couldn't even edge your way in you just had to sort of you had to do had to belly flop into the play did you learn anything about yourself doing her did i learn anything about myself doing her um you know that's not a question i ever ask myself possibly <laughs> i that's more that's more something i talk to my analyst about uh, i don't know yeah i don't know Possibly. I mean, when you play those big roles, when you play Hedda Gabler or, or Blanche or Medea or Electra or any of those roles, you, you, you get expanded by the experience. So you, yes. you, you have greater capacity, I think, afterwards. I think so, because like I swear to God, I mean, I just don't know how it doesn't affect you to a certain degree. Oh, my hair fell out. My hair fell out. That was we were meant to, we were meant to go to Broadway. Um, we were at BAM and we were meant to go to Broadway with it. And uh, my hair was falling out and I just, I just had to go home. Um, what? Yeah. What do you, why did your hair fall out? I think it was out? just the stress of it. It was a very, very intense production. I was, didn't wow. have alopecia, but it was just like, I. No, no, I know. I know you were stressed yeah. out and you like, you know, you can only be blanched for so long. Yeah. It's not a happy place. Because the point I was going to make though, is I saw, I saw Al Pacino do American Buffalo. <gasps> Did you in Boston when I was in college? And I think that the, the time between when he did that and he did Scarface was a little too close because I felt that he was still kind of talking with a slight Cuban accent. <laughs> so I guess my- he's my hero. He's my hero. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah he and Jenna Rollins, I think, you know, and Lucy Ball. Why Pacino? What is it about him? He just he he is so bold. And you know he yeah. really he 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 pushes the envelope all the time. But then I you know watch I watched Heat again the other night. <gasps> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my God! It's so sexy and so present and so alive. And you know, dogged afternoon. Mm. I mean, it's just he's just. Isn't it interesting the young Pacino versus the old Pacino? It's really wild to see like emotionally who you, you know what his his range has become and, and I think what is what is you know what he was when he was younger, he was so wide open mm. and so sensitive and so engaged and visceral. And then he kind of went through some other I guess it's really a matter of the roles because when I watched him do Jack Kevorkian, I was like, oh my God, he can still go pretty fucking deep, man. You know, he can still really do it. But it's also I mean I, I mean I love I loved his work in the Irishman. I you know I loved all of them and, and the movie generally. Yeah. But you know he is so um present you know, I, I want to be on the other end of that gaze. Well, why can't you be? Get into it. You okay. Know, get in. You better do it. Do it okay. soon. Um, so, oh, Lucille Ball, Jenna Rollins, of yeah. course. Isn't she uh, amazing? Is inspired. Are you doing something about Lucy or did, am I making that up? I don't know. It's been around for a long time. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I think she's extraordinary. What is it about her that you love so much? What, what isn't there not to love? No, I know. I know. But like specifically, what do you respond to? I mean, she was funny, but like, you know, if you can say that it's because, you know, uh, Pacino is so present, which is very succinct. What about Lucy? I think she's so, you know, someone who has the level of talent that she has, it could be a monologue. You watch her perform, and she is an absolute in an absolute dance with the people that she's working with, and she elevates them. They elevate her, and you can tell that they're making that moment together. 
You know, sometimes sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. people like her, you, you you think the spotlight's on her and, and everyone else around her fades away, but she brings everyone else up with her. And I think that you can just tell there's a profound generosity, not only towards her fellow actors, but towards the audience. I just, I think I really, I just so admire that. Apart from her, she was very good at at at, at sharing a stage because yeah. she did she and she was so great at comedic takes. Mm. You know, a lot of her stuff was silent or totally. facial or beats beats of timing that she would let someone else have yeah. them. You know, yeah, it's kind of fascinating. So, okay, so now I think we did it. Did we? Now, did you press record? Oh no! Oh yeah. shit! I've got to come Wait, back next week. What do you? What do you? <laughs> No, we're gonna do a weekly thing now. We're not gonna, just we're just gonna check, check in. in. I'll be your 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 UK correspondent. That'd be great. But There's not uh, much going on here, though. The uh, Oscars. That was uh, before I go. Are they prominently displayed somewhere, or do you just hide them? There, there it is. Is that is that what you're referring to? The owl? No, the Oscars. The Oscars. The Academy Awards. Oh, Academy Awards. It's in a box somewhere. <laughs> okay. Enough said. <laughs> Good. Good for you. I just wanted to make sure that uh, you were hiding that as well. Um, yes. Yeah. In that uh, you don't want to be reminded that you won the highest honor. An, an, of an my actor. greatness. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do today now? What happens? T- today? Yeah. Tonight? Or yeah, whatever. I'm going, I'm, going, I'm going to bed. Oh, what time is it now? It's 10 o'clock. Oh. Um, wow. That's, that's early. That's really telling, isn't it? No, no, no. What else? But you, no, it's not telling. We're in, we're locked in that fucking house. What I are you know. supposed to look? Look how locked in the fucking house I am. Look at my boots. Oh, it's everyone's got. To, we're all going to be who we are soon. You are gonna you're gonna be able to tell who's actually stayed indoors. Mm. Oh, that's the, true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you for talking. And thank um, you, thank you. And um, I hope we interface again. We will. Yeah, sometime. we will definitely. All right. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Thank bye. you. Bye. 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 How good was that? It was nice, right? God, she's fucking amazing. What a, what an exciting conversation that was for me. I don't know what to expect, but God, I just she's so great, and she's great in this. She's great in everything, despite what she thinks of herself. And now to honor Little Richard, some raw, dirty rock and roll guitar playing. Rest in peace, Little Richard. Wop up loom up, blop bam boom.
lives.